0: Hello and welcome to Drunk Art Review, the place where anyone from teetotal to Blind Arse Drunk is welcome to give their honest arse opinions about all forms of art. Now this week is a little bit different, as it's coming up to Halloween we figured we wanted to do a special Nightmares episode, so throughout this episode it's a little bit different, we'll be having segments, but uh, we've got some pretty awesome tales to tell you, all true, (laughs) so we hope that you enjoy them. Now, on with the show. Diving straight into our first submission, we get transported to an island and Tom tells us how it unfolds. Every single time.
1: It's not really that scary, and I've only had it a few times. Um, But I'm on, I'm shipwrecked on a desert island with all my friends, and it's like a mix between like the Lord of the Flies and Mother, where like I start becoming really paranoid and I look, and it looks like everyone's like talking about me and like they're all planning something without me knowing but when I go and try and like talk to them they're all like super friendly and you know they're just getting on with the island work like building the coconut houses and all that stuff and it just gets worse and worse and I get more and more paranoid and I haven't actually ever found out what happens at the end I think it's what's the character in did you ever read Lord of the Flies?
0: no no but I've, uh, I've seen it
1: I think it is, the, I can't really remember the story exactly, but I think it is kind of similar. I think someone, it's about like a school kid to mm. get shipwrecked from like this boy's school. And one of them gets really paranoid, I think. I can't remember which one. But they end up killing each other and all that stuff.
0: Are you your age now? I
1: think I'm now, and it's everyone. So it's like, you know, yeah. male, female, friends. Family? Or is it always friends? No, I think it's friends. Hmm yeah my family have never cropped up on said island hmm. um,
0: do you have a distinction as to what the island or where the island is or is it pretty much like lost you're you you do not know where?
1: It is, yeah it's pretty much just like lost but like, everyone's very chilled it's like we've all accepted the island life yeah and we're just but trying it's... to build like a society but i just can't get down with it
0: do you know do you think that you're like in a position of power in your dream or are you kind no. of oh. are you not working and is that kind of giving you the anxiety because everyone's going about their own business
1: the bit I remember most is like I'm in like a cave and it's like it's like I know the whole situation Mm. and I feel like when I drop in or drop into the nightmare I'm like already in the cave and there's like a storm and I'm Mm. I'm already paranoid by this point so I'm already like in the cave like they're plotting against me
2: so are it's a, a bit of a
1: are you alone in the game? <laughs> yeah I was like so alone oh, I was really sad it's like I, I, but it's I, terrifying that like yeah nothing scarier than that low-key paranoia
0: and you know that you're you in your dream like yeah. you're, you're not someone else acting out a role you know it's you yeah definitely and you recognise your friends in the dream or are they kind of like because sometimes in my dream I, I, I rarely see people that I know
1: Physically, they they look like the people I think they do, but their mannerisms are there's something off about it's almost like they're like robot versions of themselves. Ooh. Like when I go to talk to them,
0: like Stepford Wives.
1: Yeah, maybe there's no one else on the island. Actually, maybe it is just me, and I've like imagined all my friends so well, and now I'm imagining them <laughs> and then against me. Yeah. It's very stressful. It's not a nice one to wake up from.
0: So have you had this dream multiple times or
1: Yeah, I think I'd say the times I've remembered it have maybe been like three times in the last don't know, a couple of years or something.
0: So the first time you had it was when you were older.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, it's all it's always starring the same like friends that I've mm. have kind of been in my bubble, I guess, from the last like two years. Yeah. It's quite a recent dream. I wish it progressed every time. I wish it like went on to you the next chapter. Them. Yeah, but I never <laughs> do. Um, but I can't... I, I couldn't say a start point or an end point mm. either. Um,
0: well, that's what they, they always say. When, when you're in dreams, you're kind of... You are where you are. You start in the middle of a sentence almost.
1: Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. Like, when I start, <laughs> I'm already in the cave and all this stuff has already <laughs> happened. And, you know...
0: So you're uh, already totally aware that everyone's plotting against you? Yeah. And do you think of yourself as being like, oh, I can, um, I can escape this island? Or is it more of like, you've just accepted it?
1: I think it's like, I don't know, when I drop in, I think it's got to the point of like, either someone's gonna kill me or like I'm gonna have to kill someone. Seriously, that's how stressful it is. Oh my God. But like, there's no escape, there's no- There's no, no... no boat. No, like you,
0: you don't even con- contemplate leaving the island because yeah. I guess the ocean is pretty scary in itself. Yeah, I, I
1: wouldn't want to leave. It's like a really horrible Moana, <laughs> the worst.
0: <laughs> well, they say Moana is like a dream in itself. Like she dies, and it's a dream. <gasps> that's that's a theory.
1: Oh, well, out on the boat.
0: As theories go,
1: mm. <laughs> God. Maybe it comes up like when I feel like I haven't kept in touch with someone as well. Like, as much as I should have sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like, maybe it's like a guilt thing. Like, I'm always, almost feeling like the bad friend. But in the dream, I'm like flipping it. and bit. yeah, I don't know. Well, I feel like yeah. that's possibly a trigger for it.
0: Well, people um, often punish themselves in different yeah. ways for things that they feel that they need to be achieving. Yeah, yeah. Or um, fulfilling within, like, their own friendship groups and relationships and things like that.
4: yeah. yeah. So it's
0: interesting that you're a, you've almost got this self guilt of like well I'm, gu- I'm i have to do something i have to kill someone or i have to be killed like it, it's it's
5: one or the other
1: not the way to handle situations time <laughs> yeah it's oh, um, yeah it's very interesting i'll uh i'll keep a, a record of it and see when it happens again
5: is there anything
0: that <laughs> particularly sticks out in that dream that you always notice that you know that you're you're in that dream
1: um the same people mm. um
0: have you told any of those people who are in the dream of no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no um you don't star in it actually not that no. i know of
0: no but i suppose um i've been sort of in and out of yeah, I mean, that's like, true. yeah university yeah, 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 and then yeah. a couple of years and yeah. then living together now. You know, for two weeks you oh are. Oh my God, I'm going to reappear. You're the
1: one building the coconut radio. I'll be like, oh,
0: she's making her way in. I just, I just slowly turn <laughs> around like, are you okay? Oh,
1: that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's like the big eyes, is like, hi, Tom. Like, how's it going today on the island? And it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. you, I weir- know you're plotting against me. <laughs>
0: the weird thing is though, is that that's your brain talking back to you, you know? So it's like.
1: Isn't that weird that that part of the brain must exist yeah. all the time?
0: Just imagining everything. Oh god. Well, um, if I do appear, please don't kill me.
1: Uh, so <laughs> just share your be radio too with me. I'll. Uh, we're good. We're good. We'll make a pat
0: Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Tom. That's uh, a fantastic nightmare. You're very welcome. I mean, tell me if it you know develops. I will. I'll
1: keep you updated. Yeah. Chuck part two.
0: Nice. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, thank you!
6: Cheers! <laughs> the image chosen to reflect Tom's story is The Storm, a painting by Norwegian artist Edward Munch. The painting's setting is that of a Norwegian seaside village, Asgostrand, where Munch often spent his summers. A group of villagers can be seen huddling together to protect themselves from the storm, while in the forefront of the painting stands one lone figure, dressed in white and separate from the others, covering their ears and bracing themselves against the howling wind.
0: Our next haunting tale is from Alexander Ward. Hear him as he describes the beach and what he's constantly on the lookout for.
7: Hello, I'm Alex and I'm a photographer from Suffolk on the East Coast. And this is my dream. So I'm on a beach and it's dark it's not too dark like there's moonlight that's bathing everything in this like blue and silver tone and i can feel the texture of my the sand under my feet and to the left the tide is in but it's quiet and it's calm so i arrive already walking forward and there are tall cliffs on my right hand side made of like earthy white browns and i feel like something is coming like this looming feeling at my chest it's like a pressure that's increasing and as i'm getting closer to this part of the cliff that sort of juts out onto the beach i can see it's like big enough and there's and it casts a shadow and i feel there's something in that darkness so this pressure gets stronger and stronger and i'm feeling terrified and i'm screaming out and hoping someone wakes me up My heart is sinking in my chest, and I've never felt fear like that. I'm still walking towards it, waiting for whatever is in that shadow to emerge. I'm screaming so loud, and I can hear myself making, like, moans in the real world and trying to wake up. And I remember when I first had this dream, my girlfriend at the time waking me up, because she was so worried about me. And I woke up knowing more than anything that the moment on that beach is when I die. And since then, I've um, never had such certainty about something. And I absolutely love the coast. And every time I'm somewhere new, I'm looking for this scene, thinking maybe it's a chance to, to change it. And that's my dream.
0: The art piece we've chosen to emulate Alex's nightmare is The Sea of Ice by Caspar David Frederich. The landscape depicts a shipwreck in the middle of a broken ice sheet, whose shards have piled up after the impact. The ice has become like a monolithic tomb whose edges jut into the sky. The stern of the ship is just visible on the right. Discovering each beach, awaiting to see the place he will die. The ice shards holding the death of this ship in absolute silent stillness, reflects the moment he is waiting to see, like the impact awaiting to carry on its crash. Now because I'm sure you want to know, um, (laughs) let me tell you my nightmare. So, I think I, I mean it's only the one time I've had it um but it's stayed with me throughout my whole life um and i was probably about 7 or 8 and we all know that that's kind of the time that we gain our morals and uh, we have more of a sense of identity about ourselves um and i feel that that kind of played into the dream i had so anyway um the start of the dream uh i'm at a cinema and it's an underground cinema i, I often dream in twilight so there's there's never any like strong um blaring light it's almost like I'm looking through a filter um even on bright days um it'll still feel like I'm through an Instagram filter um so anyway yeah the dream starts um in sort of this underground cinema and I'm with my sister's friends um I was the youngest of the family so we would always sort of I'd hang out with them (laughs) as all young children do but then again I was never really fussed spending a lot of time alone and so we're at the cinema and then um, suddenly we're at home I don't know why the cinema is important but (laughs) we always remember these details Um, and so I'm sitting in the living room with my mum and sister and we had this bay window um, with netting over it in our old house and I used to uh, sit, oh, well in the dream I'm, I'm sat there facing the television and my mum and sister are just flicking through the TV like um, saying nothing's on, they're kind of boredly looking through um, and I'm kind of like absent-mindedly just there and I notice this sort of this movement and sound behind me and as I uh, sort of quickly turn around I see this giant man like a two-story man um, running down the road and he has no skin. he's not bloody but you can see every muscle and tendon um, of his body and he catches my eye and it sends this jolt of terror through me I'm I'm frozen I, I can't, can't believe like I've I've seen this thing this this absurd thing. So I I flip round and, you know, my my mum and sister haven't seen anything, they're just flicking through the television, (laughs) like nothing's happened. And I'm there and I'm having this, like, internal sort of terror crisis of what have I seen? And then I kind of, I notice, um, that there's this dune buggy of people waving pitchforks (laughs) down the road, like, chasing after this man, this giant man. Cause obviously, at an eight-year, you know, at an eight-year-old, you know, persecution is <laughs> clearly through pitchforks. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I see all this, and I I sit back and I turn, face in the room. Mum and sister not really paying attention; they're just looking through the television. And my heart is racing, and I I suddenly hear um, sort of this thud, thud, thud um, behind me, coming closer, and as I turn around, the skinless man's face is right at the window, huge, staring directly at me, and my mum and sister can't see anything, they're still flicking through the television, like, there's nothing, you know, like, oh, there's nothing on, blah, 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 um, and I'm looking directly into his eyes, and all I can hear is my mum and sister, I can't hear any of the commotion that's around, like, sort of, within me, or um, even the crashing of the glass window as his hand is, like, forcing its way through. Um, and, thinking about it, he didn't seem malicious, but the hand comes straight towards my face, and I jolt awake, just as his fingers about to touch my nose. And yeah, um, it's funny, the more you, you think the more you tell a story, you get more used to it, and parts of you do, but, uh, I do kind of think that <laughs> when you, when you start to remember the the real details, and you start to talk about it, you kind of experience it again, and it is, you feel that same terror, I think, um, but yeah, I guess you can, compartmentalise it a little bit easier after we've said it a few times but yeah that is my
5: nightmare and how is what
0: artwork or film or have you got that kind of feeds into that that you think reflects that quite well i'm quite interested to see (laughs) there is a wonderful documentary film As Uh ever, I love a documentary um, made in 2015 by director Rodney Asher Uh and it's called The Nightmare. Just The Nightmare, which goes hand in hand with this episode actually. Very (laughs) nice. Basically, the director, Asher, he chose this subject because he had experienced it himself and the whole film is about sleep paralysis. It's a documentary following about eight different people describing their sleep paralysis and he then tries to reenact each scenario with actors. You've
5: told me about this film before. <laughs> this is ringing a
0: bell. We've discussed this. Yes, I mean, it, it, I, I watched it um, probably a year after it came out. Obviously, it hit all the you know Sundance and the mm. sort of the film festivals um, because it is it's such a unique documentary and a way of storytelling. Mm. It's almost like a myth among uh, people. People talk about sleep paralysis and they kind of think of it as a phenomena that
5: yeah,
0: just happens to a phenomena. People. A little bit like um, a human combustion. They don't quite believe it. The film crew uh, initially began like approaching participants via, you know, messaging groups and via YouTube and things like that. But they found that participants began approaching them about the documentary because obviously, like, it's this phenomena that isn't often talked about or, well, you know, it, it's saves yeah. for films. So the documentary focuses on people Is suffering from sleep paralysis, the phenomenon where people find themselves temporarily unable to move, speak, or react to anything while they are falling asleep or awakening. Occasionally, the paralysis will be accompanied by physical experiences or hallucinations that have the potential to terrify the individual. It's bringing these traumatic events that are only in our mind to life. And within the movie, some of the stories are so relatable. And we don't realize how relatable they are until you're sort of physically seeing them because you realize that you've probably had dreams that are similar to this, but they're getting it in an awakened form. Yeah, why I chose this as like sort of the relationship with my own nightmare is this idea of the terror of seeing it in my dream like they do in, in the movie um, mm. but also being able to sort of uh, awakenly visualize it within your interests and things later on in life and i think that that's them being able to see it and sort of analyze it like that they've been able mm. to relay it back to their lives a little bit like psychoanalysis in a way mm. um so in the way that i know that i am very on the edge when it comes to human fragility and things like that and Mm. knowing that like our bodies are adjacent to our minds and things like that. I think that it's a similar thing within the film. And it is fascinating. I thoroughly recommend it. If anything, Mm. that's kind of my recommendation for this as well. And I'll definitely be putting up clips from the documentary on the Instagram feed too.
5: Mm, Because
0: it is, it's, it's traumatic, but you can relate to it so well. But the other extra thing that they often talk about within the movie and adds to the phenomena of it, is the fact that as soon as people start talking about um, sleep paralysis, they then tend to experience it because mm. it's it's a mental condition that affects you. And when you're mentally stressed, these uh, paralysis episodes can happen more and more. Mm. So when people start talking about it and worrying about it, they then experience them. Um, and they talk about how that has happened with some of the people that would generally experience these things as soon as they start talking about them they would then experience them. So I apologize like for anyone the power who... of suggestion. Yeah I apologize to anyone who then experiences some paralysis tonight after they listen to our episode.
5: Yes, we uh, we cannot be held accountable for any sleep paralysis and nightmares that you may have following our uh, episodes. <laughs> we apologize in advance.
0: Yeah so like I said that that was my trauma. very light trauma but still, poignant within my own life. What about you, Jenny?
5: Well, mine isn't quite as light, I suppose. (laughs) 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 Do tell.
0: Now, before Jenny tells us her story, come with us as we dip into the peripheries of disturbed sleep, as Felipe talks about his experience of finding El Gayan.
4: Um... So when I was between three and four, um, my family bought a house in the countryside in the middle of Colombia, and it was like this big, well, it was a small town, but in a big chunk of land, so the density of the population was really low, uh, and you could just have like a vast uh, amount of land, and it so happened that our uh, land had a mountain, which was a little bit Special, uh, uh, because the because of how the wind blew in that region, uh, that that mountain was gathering loads of wind, and my dad somehow liked that. I don't know why. Um, so when they started uh, constructing the house, because they there, there wasn't anything in the house, there there was nothing in the land. They had to build the house from scratch. Uh, they started finding uh, constructions from like indigenous pre-colonial. Uh, natives and then uh, one day as this is this is told to, to me by my family I, I got lost in the mountain which is pretty scary it's like very responsible family actually if you think about it it's like uh, do you know our three four year old you know the dude where, where is the little dude and he's like oh it must be somewhere in the mountain in the middle of like this I don't know how many acres it was but it was a massive chunk of that just to not keep track of your son and uh, and then they, they, they went to bits of the mountain that apparently had been walking with uh, one of them. And they found me saying, I had to text my parents to, to remember. And they found me saying uh, in Spanish, it would be like El Gallán, El Gallán, El Gallán. And I was pointing at a, a rock formation in a specific place. It was like El Gallán, uh, which uh, would stand for uh, guardian or the guardian uh so it's pretty creepy that I could not even speak and I was telling them like you know the, the guardian the guardian that's that's the guardian um so then obviously I was uh, taken home I have not experienced this with any of my nieces that are three or four but if that was to happen I, I'd be terrified is they're like what are you talking about especially with all of the horror movies that you see now uh, and you you see that that's how it all starts going wrong when the kids start pointing at things that are not there and calling them out then then that's not that's not uh, healthy or comforting in any way uh, so they took me home and then they started uh, doing excavations around the, the the mountain to see if there was maybe some resources or just out of curiosity what was there uh, and they found in the spot that I was uh, pottery like handmade pottery and some of this pottery had uh, rema- remains but I think t- to the day they were like small bones so it could be more like food rather than human. but obviously there were remains of human beings as well in there. I don't know uh, so they started taking pots to the house to reconstruct them, empty them uh, making sure that they could be kept and uh, some of them were intact, some of them were broken and when they started gathering all of these things on the on the building side that there was um, no one could sleep Uh, they were like there were noises in the house people would just wake up Um, my siblings also they're like they were back then 13 and 14 or maybe 15 and they clearly remember like yeah the weird things were happening around the house so my parents are very spiritual my dad is extremely respectful of all of these things So he said, okay, we're going to take all of the pots. Uh, We might just keep one. One of the ones that was empty, nothing that had anything inside. We're going to put it back to where it was. Uh, And then after that, it was everything fine. And it seemed like the spiritual balance had been restored in the land. And uh, uh, However, my grandfather, who uh, was a little bit greedy, uh, he decided that he was going to drive a truck filled with dynamite to blow up the mountain and make sure because he was sure that there was a gold um, I don't know there was gold somewhere in the mountain so he decided like I'm not gonna waste my time with excavations and none of that crap I'm going to blow up this mountain so uh, it seemed like the day was gonna be absolutely dry he loaded the truck gonna do this really quickly i think my family did not want that to happen and so he didn't tell anyone we found out later when he told us what had happened um he was making his way uh and in the rush that he had uh well he, he didn't let any i am um, there was no phones back back then in order for you to get a call over to the where we were you had to call the the uh, like the town communication center and then someone would come in a motorcycle and tell you like hey you've got a call in the so so they my family never knew that he was coming so he was making his way uh to the to the house and uh the truck broke and when he managed to fix it he was making his way again to the to the to where we were and it started to rain and because in the rush of the moment he was not prepared because it was so sunny when he when he departed and he was not planning to get the, the truck broken the load of dynamite got wet and by the time he got there they couldn't spark anything so he yeah he lost his money on his investment to blow up the mountain and ever since then we started uh doing well we were very my family has always been very spiritual about it we have lots of respect as well for the Cultures and all of the things that happened in like the natives in Latin America. They well, worshipped uh, the, the moon and the Sun and the stars they had like a uh, Multiple God entities that they were more rather than adoring more like grateful to and then my family kind of like started implementing that and they we started doing as I as a kid I remember uh, doing uh, Yahe rituals which is like uh, the equivalent of... Uh, Yahé is like ayahuasca, which is more is a bit more popular. And then we would just do that. Uh, chimney people would come take their Yahé. Uh, a shaman would also come around the house and he would feel that there would be very, uh, very strong energies happening in that chunk of land. Uh, and we only kept a one, one chunk of, of, of pottery that I think we were moving somewhere again it it just broke i don't know where it is at the moment but who knows
0: felipe's story could only mean i told you to go and see the earthenware burial pots he mentions since the time of the spanish conquest of peru these types of pieces have been found in pre-columbian sites like temples graves and burials as well as other kinds of ruins these sites especially if they are of a sacred meaning are called Huaca. In Peru, a huacuero is a person that digs in ancient pre-Columbian ruins illegally in order to get valuable pieces of artwork, usually destroying the structure. The pots often have faces, emulate creatures and no doubt embody traditions. And who knows? El Gaillan. Our
6: next submission is from Flora McLean who tells us all about some unusual characters her subconscious shows her during her sleep paralysis episodes.
8: I want to see you dance on the blood-dimmed tide.
9: So I've had sleep paralysis my whole life. I remember being like a six-year-old, and being in bed and feeling like I was underwater, unable to scream or move or do anything, which is, you know, traumatizing for a six-year-old but in my adult life it has become (laughs) a bit more farcical so I don't usually get like hallucinations like horrible spectres and scenes like some people see I usually just am paralyzed awake but can't move which is stressful in its own way but um when I do get hallucinations and visions and stuff they're like just weird it makes me question what my subconscious is telling me when i see these things so if one time i just saw like a real russian nesting doll a woman that just looked like a russian doll her shape and like her face and costume <laughs> was like that and another time i think i saw like jeremy corbyn i just remember waking up in the morning being like why was jeremy corbyn in my room last night oh yeah it's because my brain does this weird thing to me. The clearest one I remember is waking up in the night and seeing just these bright flashes of light, three or four of them. And in the light, when the flash went off, it was just this man stood there wearing like a flat peak cap, posing for us for selfies, his thumb and forefinger uh, on his chin, you know that classic pose that lads do when they're in the club. Like every time in all the pictures. And he was doing that and pouting and like trying to look cool and it was just so odd that at that point my brain was like oh yeah this isn't real this is a hallucination so i could actually wake up and not see this weird man anymore so yeah i don't know what that says about me i usually get it when i'm stressed but i don't know why my brain decided to show me that maybe to cheer me up i don't know that's probably for paid professionals to figure
6: out. For Flora's story, I've chosen a photograph by Nicholas Bruno. Like Flora, Bruno has experienced sleep paralysis for most of his life. Within his images, Bruno often uses water to symbolise the aspect of being submerged in paralysis, while also reflecting the feelings of drowning and suffocation. The image itself shows a broken bed, slowly descending into a flooded field bed's occupant sinks slowly with it unable to wake themselves from their dreams now let's go down the audio phone waves and
0: listen to Jenny's nightmare
5: so my nightmare and I'm gonna talk about a very general kind of fear and Mm -hmm. think something that terrifies me rather than a specific nightmare that I've had but something that falls within Nightmares that, all of the nightmares that I have generally fall and relate to this. And again, mine is spurned from something that happened in my childhood. People that know me know that I lost my father when I was young. And basically my anxieties around that as a child, because again, I was at a poignant age of like developing those concepts and ideas. I I was eight at the time. So my kind of phobia stems from that. And I was trying to find the technical terms for these phobias when I was doing my research. So for a long time as a teenager, I had a form of agoraphobia because I was afraid of going out quite a lot because I had this idea in my head that something bad would happen. Now, I didn't realize this, but there's actually a kind of a word for that. So there's something called panphobia, which is a vague and persistent, I should say, dread of the unknown. So it was kind of like a form of that because I was always in this, this kind of mindset that if I go outside, something horrible is going to happen to me or my family those kind of then fed into probably what i would consider my worst nightmare today is thanatophobia, which is the fear of losing someone you love i was really interested i was reading all these different phobias and it, it ranges from like fear of the color purple to fear of buttons to being afraid of men and and like the one that really is the kicker is fear of long words and it's like the <laughs> longest word you'll ever <laughs> see like who names them has got some kind of like ironic sense of humor i love that so i sent rosie an image for her to have a look at and I kind of experienced this kind of recently. So going back to like this afraid of loss and losing people I love, I also worry and am frightened of the consequences of if something happens to me, for example, the impact it then has on other people. So if I was unwell or something happened to me, what Mm -hmm. would then happen to people I care about? This was brought up recently, and I'm not going to dwell on this too much because I don't like to go into my private life very much, I was poorly recently and had to have an overnight stay in hospital. Don't panic, people. I'm absolutely fine. This happened over a month ago. I'm absolutely okay. But while I was in hospital, one of my main fears and worries, for anybody who knows me, I'm a crazy dog lady, was what did my dog think? She had no idea what was going on. I just disappeared and then not come back. And like she was completely out of routine. And I was so frightened that she would be scared or upset or worried. And I mean, not just about... Doris obviously I was worried about my mum and my granddad and my friends Mm. thinking although you know I don't want them being worried about me I don't but I had this thing about Doris being
0: it's because Doris is um she's entirely relying on you emotionally you know physically
5: and she she's your child she's the center of my world not only that (laughs) she's an animal I can't explain convey to her Mm. I can't reason with her and tell her what's going on so I had this horrible fear that she was you know when you're unwell anyway you just you get worried about things anyway when I came out I was just like so happy to see her I burst into tears so I've gone with a image that kind of represents that because I think that's kind of like the freshest form. Mm-hmm. And actually I think this artist is really cool in general. I found him recently and he's brilliant. So the image that I've got is um called Daimos, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, and it's by an artist called Dragon Bivin. And just to give you a bit of a background on Dragon Bivin, he's a Serbian artist, illustrator and graphic designer. He teaches illustration and book design at the Academy of Arts in Novi Sad, Serbia. And he's really into kind of like exploring the poetics of an image. In a way of leaving stuff out of it mm. and it's really interesting when you look at more of his work and you're gonna love it there's a little bit of surrealism to some of it but he's really good at leaving stuff out of a painting and it's almost like it then leaves your mind and your human psych to then fill in the gaps and that almost makes it scarier because your imagination is mm. feeding into this image and sometimes there's very little information in these images
0: it's so similar to when in horror movies or, yeah. or spooky tv series the angling of the camera angle will leave so much space in the background dark empty areas which your brain then fills in with
5: yeah and like long silences and Mm -hmm. it's all about building tension isn't it definitely and i think his images are really good for doing that and as i said i've only just recently discovered him and he's brilliant
0: i love this image by the way and it speaks so much to what you're saying
5: this particular image is called Daimos. now Daimos, for those who doesn't know he's actually his name was derived from ancient greek and it meant dread and he was the god of terror in greek mythology
0: oh wow
5: he was the son of Ares and aphrodite and he had a twin brother called phobos who was the god of fear so they were fear and, <laughs> fear and terror they were these twin brothers <laughs> that is that, that a little
0: bit like um the two the duo in hercules mm-hmm. Those two creatures that could be a derivative of that because it's like having terror and pain, you know, something yeah, similar to like
5: that. I mean, they never had kind of in Greek mythology, they never had their own main stories. They were always kind of like a sideline story that went along with Ares. So when Ares would go and pillage and war and they were kind of there with him, they never yeah. had like their own main feature. But so the idea is that this painting is about terror. So the image itself for those who are listening is a white wall with a door open, and the door is cracked open to a certain angle, and it's just black, pitch black behind this door. And in the forefront of the image is this small dog looking at this empty doorway that's pitch black.
0: Well, you um, have it all the time when dogs notice things oh. that you don't.
5: Yeah, you know, we always joke about animals being able to see ghosts because sometimes our cats will zone out and they'll be staring <laughs> at a speck of dust on the wall and and I mean, you can kind of interpret this image mm-hmm. in any way you want. I mean, I thought it fit my fear in a way that Doris is staring at a door and that she's waiting for something that isn't mm-hmm. there. But it's also be construed in a completely different way. Obviously, the dog has seen something in this dark doorway that could be utterly terrifying that we're not privy to.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, so it's a, I just thought it was a really interesting image because it's that whole building tension, building horror and terror. You don't know what's beyond the door, but the dog can see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it fits my personal nightmare as well but it could fit anybody's nightmare in that sense it's it's Um, the it's
0: the not knowing of what's beyond
5: yeah and it's about our mind filling in those gaps and that kind of sense of dread what is actually beyond that view
0: this is something that is described in the documentary i mentioned and one of the highlight lines that they read is all darkness looks alive Mm. And this is exactly what you're talking about with the the doorway here.
5: A lot of his images, when you look at um, Dragon Bibbins images um, from this particular series, they've all got that really quiet, isolated scenery. And there's a lot of animals featured in this particular series. Mm. Um, And I think he was kind of looking to explore apprehensions and anxieties within this But even with some of his other works, his more recent works, they are uncomfortable to look at.
0: You're kind of left feeling that sense of anxiousness because you're left with an unanswered question.
5: There's just something about them that um, everyone will see something slightly different when they look at them. Mm -hmm. Because it's that whole, I know as you were saying, like you see things in the darks more and it literally is like, you'll go and lay in bed. and you'll be staying there in the dark and you think you can see things moving and it's just the way your eyes are like shutting off for the night you can yeah. see the shadows moving it's just the way your eyes are tuning out but we interpret that and that plays on our psyche. well um, our whole
0: life is about interpreting what we see and what we feel and all of our senses mm. so when we're having to rely on something that is tricking us we have to battle with the idea of the reality and the non-reality.
5: Yeah, so I, that's why I chose this particular painting, because one, it represents, I think, my personal fear, and I think it mm. sums it up quite well. Also, because that particular painting, and actually that whole series of work that he's produced to go along with it, I think anybody could slot any of their fears. And while mm. their fears weren't directly there, and you, I mean, you know, you could be afraid of, I don't know, heights, And maybe it doesn't show a great height, but you don't know what's on the other side of that door. And maybe you're afraid of clowns and you you Mm -hmm. might not see it, but your brain suddenly like, is there a clown? Do you know what I mean? It's like, is the thing that I'm afraid of on the other side of that door? So I think it's a really interesting series to look at if you like a creepy image that isn't inherently gory or spooky, or it's it's that whole thing that he works with of leaving the absence of things, mm. and it actually, because of the absence of the items there, it actually suggests a strong presence of it, I think.
0: I think you're right, like, having fewer items within the image really heightens the idea that there yeah. is something else going on. The dog being so alert, on edge, That ready. expectancy yeah, of something. Yeah, You're immediately anxious. Mm,
5: you're, you're, you're on edge because you're like, what is...
0: Yeah, What's yeah. What's there? So it's playing with your psyche. You're seeing mm. things that you're not, that aren't there, but you know we always have to trust our own perceptions of things and know that they can be wrong but it doesn't change what you see (laughs) exactly
5: so yeah so i hope you enjoyed this one guys i definitely recommend going and checking out as well obviously it will post (laughs) some images of it because it's brilliant but yeah it's a really good one i think for fitting into the whole nightmares and horror side of things that we're going into this episode
0: Now let's go to Madrid where Flynn Hearn reminds us how cartoons, when made real, can become our ultimate horror within the realms of our dreams.
10: Okay, so my name is Flynn, Uh, I live in Madrid. I have done for two years from England and I teach kids, I teach English. So my nightmare, I remember it like photographically, like each step, like more than pretty much any dream I've ever had and I don't know why. I do know why, you will know why, because it's it's pretty fucking weird. So I must have been, I was for like six years old, don't really remember how the dream starts, but like me and my mum are walking, you know. In the in the dream, I might be younger, I must be like three or four. We're walking, we pass like this restaurant we used to go to a lot, um, like a friend of the family. Uh, he's in prison for money laundering now, that's unrelated. It, it was called Past the Habit. In uh, Islington Anyway Unrelated So anyway So we're walking And then like I see Like, like a shadow silhouette Like someone's following Right You know like those Like green electrical boxes You get in the street Like peering behind that Kind of thing uh, And in the dream And at the time Well like my age uh, Me and my mum lived in a hostel which is Which is true And then in the dream We were still living there um, before we go into the hospital, there's like, um, you know, like the trees are in the sh- in like the pavement, and there's like around it, you know, like a small bit of soil. It was like goo, like gooey stuff, like kind of rubbery gooey stuff. But like I tread in it, kind of unrelated to the rest of the dream. Get there. And so in we go to like our room because it was a room, and I had like a power ranger spread which is I had in real life as well. And my mum says, don't open the door, don't leave the room, and my mum has to go somewhere, which probably happened as well, several occasions. And then there's kind of like a skip, I'm outside the room. Imagine, not like a hotel corridor, but like a square corridor and like doors, around it and then from this point i'm seeing myself above because i'm being choked specifically with a belt so the, the character the person that was following me earlier unbeknownst to my mom was choking me with a belt and i kind of see myself from above and like very traumatizing like i wake up and then like in my dream i've might have been like choking in all life because i kind of coughed and there was like a little like something come out but the, the <laughs> it wasn't a person? It was a character that, and I wasn't really into the TV show. The character, this is like such a great build-up. The character, and you would never guess who it is. It's hilarious. Uh, the character, and I don't know why. The character was from the Wild Thornberries, not Visual Thornberry. <laughs> don't know why. I never really watched the show, but I have the most vivid memory of being strangled to death with a belt by Nigel Thornberry from the World Thornberry's film. That's <laughs> it, that's it.
0: When you tap into the culture of the internet meme, Nigel Thornberry is a solid staple among the everyday comedian. So it makes sense to show you a piece that transforms this 2D cartoon character into something genuinely terrifying. The planes of flat 2D animation can hide the horror of obtuse features that make the cartoons alive. However, Miguel Vasquez brings that 3D reality to a jarring place.
6: Go see for yourself this Halloween. Our next submission is from Matt Fawkes, who tells us all about his nightmare surrounding a famous WWE wrestler.
11: So, I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're after. But... A few years back, I had a recurring nightmare in which I was being chased by The Undertaker from, uh, from wrestling and um, it was like that old school, like late 90s, early 90s, late 90s Undertaker with the long black cloak and the weird like round brimmed cap. Uh, Which obviously was terrifying, I just couldn't get away from it. It was almost like trying to get away from Michael Myers in Halloween. He was just chasing me constantly. And I had the same nightmare every night for at least a week. And um, as a joke uh, with my wife, I actually emailed his fan submission email. And uh, asked him to leave me alone. And a few days later, I actually received an email back from him, um, or you know, from his agency, uh, apologizing um, and saying that he would uh, try his best to stay away from me in the future. And after that, I didn't have the dream again. So make of that what you will.
6: The piece of artwork I found to accompany Matt's story is the cover of an original graphic novel by Chad Dundas called The Undertaker, Rise of the Dead Man. Illustrated by Rodrigo Lorenzo and Wesley Manuel, it depicts the silhouettes of headstones in what appears to be a graveyard. The shadows and winding tree branches form the looming face of The Undertaker, eyes glowing as if he's not of this earth. Our next story comes from one of our very own drunk heart mums, Linda Kemp,
12: who has a very unusual style of dreaming. Since I was a little girl, I have had these dream-like dreams Mm -hmm. that aren't really dreams because I'm not really asleep. It's in that space between being awake and falling asleep. And my eyes are closed and it's dark and I see white images like chalk images of faces and animals and they just appear white images on a black background and sometimes they're just nice images and other times they're really scary. Scary faces and scary animals. And I know I'm not asleep so I make myself open my eyes and I sit up for five minutes and I try to let it pass and then I shut my eyes again and I start getting dozy. And there they are again these faces these images and always white chalk-like drawings on a black background they move they open their their mouths and they make faces at me and they don't make any sound there's no no noise with them they're just visual. Yeah that's it really. I do have a theory about where they come from um, and I, I think the first time I ever saw them was as a child I had to go to the dentist a lot and in those days they gave you gas to knock you out um, it wasn't very nice I had a terrible experience so much so that it gave me almost a dental phobia and I think one of the things that I experienced while I had the gas mask put over my face and I was being made unconscious were these white images on a black background and I think that's where it came from I think that's where it started Mm. and it's carried on in some form ever since
6: To reflect Linda's story we've chosen the most recent artworks of Indonesian artist Barul Mata the images show distorted faces looming out of a dark shadowy background the grittiness of texture distorts the features just enough that you are unsure if you are gazing upon monster or man. Our next submission comes from Emily, who tells us about a dream involving a relative wanting to come in.
3: Um, it's four years uh, approximately to the day since my friend's auntie died, hmm. and um, on the kind of anniversary, she had a dream where her auntie visited her, and. Um, her auntie, when she was alive, was allergic to cats. So in the dream, when my friend answered the door, she told her that she couldn't come in because she had cats and she didn't want her to have an allergic reaction. Um, but her auntie was like, no, was like, it's okay, I'm dead, Like I can, I can come in, it doesn't matter to me. So then she was like, okay, you can come in. And they had a nice catch up, they had a chat, and then her auntie said, listen, you have to fix your EpiPen, you have to check it tomorrow and get it fixed. Um, So she woke up the next day, uh, remembered the dream, and she went and checked her EpiPen and yeah, she needed to fix it. So she went to the doctors, got a new one, and the very next day she had an episode, and she hadn't had one for ages, and if she hadn't got it fixed, she might not have, you know, it would have been awful. Uh, So now she thinks that her auntie actually came back to tell her to save her life. Was the story?
6: The art piece for Emily's story is a painting by Stanka Kordik called Open Window. The image shows a woman silhouetted against an open window. The soft focus style of the painting makes it hard to tell which side of it she's standing on and her blurred facial features give her an almost ghost-like presence.
0: For our next nightmare we go back to Madrid to hear Rafa tell us a dream. A dream I'm sure we can all relate to in those moments we jolt awake in the middle of the night.
10: Yeah, Yeah, as a kid, I used to live in this apartment, and the stairs to go up would go up in like a square shape. So it would look like a really big hole. Like a square spiral staircase. Yes. So I lived in the sixth floor, and every day as a kid, I dreamt I fell down that hole, and I woke up when i hit the floor every single night for like a really long time (laughs) yeah like six or something like that
0: listening to rafa's tale reminds me of mc escher's lithograph print called relativity using his ideas of the penrose staircase all stairs lead to impossible locations dispelling laws of gravity and reality In such a scene, you could fall endlessly.
6: Our next tale comes from an anonymous listener who tells us about the time he was stuck in a dream and his experience trying to escape it.
8: This was like last week. It's the worst night's sleep I've ever had in my life that I can remember. Um... And I for one blame the, the spicy snacks I had just before I went to bed, so I think they were uh, like Walker's spicy, ridged rich, rich crisps of some description, I don't remember exactly, but I blame like 90% of what happened on them. Uh, so I, I went to bed at a fairly reasonable time, if I recollect, maybe half past ten. A very respectable time. And I woke up about half past two. And it's a very unusual time for me to wake up. If I'm waking up at weird times, it's usually like 5am. But yeah, uh, so was up at half two, and then I could not get back to sleep for like, until about five. Or thereabouts it's kind of hard to remember like whether you slept or not in those situations when it was like half sleep um, but I think it was about five or something and then I drifted off into that kind of half sleep that you have that's just before you wake which is where I find like the weirdest and most upsetting dreams tend to happen they're very short I guess time span wise but um, yeah they tend to be the most intense me anyway um uh, there, there isn't actually any literal well there isn't much content to the dream as such it's more that i i was suddenly very aware i was in my room in my bedroom so it it could have made sense except that i was completely aware that I was dreaming and that what I was seeing wasn't real at all, I was actually very very aware, like I've never been so like, this This isn't right and I should be waking up, but I couldn't wake myself up, which was the real terrifying thing um, uh, and I th- I think it was also in that, that moment that because I knew that what I was seeing wasn't real, even though it was just my empty room I knew that my mind could actually bring out anything. Like, it could be there it, anything could be walking in, like that. Um, and I was desperately trying to wake up, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. It was like you fumbling for a key, you know, in a lock. Um, so somehow I did manage to come out of it. I don't know how I did that, but I was, I was just so relieved to actually be. In the real world again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not—it's not even a dream that was about anything. It was more of a—the uh, construct of a dream—and um, and, and being the awareness was the was the terrifying aspect of it. Actually, there was another small part to it. Um, I remember this was like a trick almost. My brain almost tricked me into thinking I'd woken up. Um, I saw. I, I remember going to the to the window, and it was raining outside. And I decided to open the window because that would bring in fresh air and um, wake wake me up, presumably. And I actually, at that point, thought I'd woken myself up, and that was real. No, because like a few moments later, then I did actually wake up, and then I realized the window wasn't open, and I'd not done any of that. And I <laughs> Um, so it, it felt a little inception-y in that way, there was different layers to this dream and um, it, uh, yeah, it was quite an upsetting experience really. Uh, quite, quite helpless, I felt quite helpless I guess. Yeah, that's my story.
0: That's insane, it's almost like you're lucid dreaming.
8: Well, yeah, um, I've heard of things like sleep paralysis, but I don't. I think that if that's what it was, that's the first time in my life that's ever happened to me, and I now have a lot more kind of understanding of the people who said like how horrible it is, and the fact that that could happen like on a regular basis sounds debilitating and not very pleasant.
6: For this story, I've chosen a piece by Stephanie Serpic called "A New Fall Number 5. The painting shows an unmade bed, dishevelled bedsheets and a crumpled blanket. An out of view light source lights up the room against a dark background. If you look closely enough into the textures of the shadows, shapes begin to emerge. One in particular is like that of a window.
0: Coming to the end of our Halloween special Nightmares broadcast, Here is an especially bizarre and unusual tale from my brother, Anthony Alexander. As if living in the attic of an old people's home, down a haunting gravel driveway wasn't enough, he witnessed things beyond the veil of sleep and awake. Things that make you question what's real. So here we go, enjoy this final tale.
2: So that was freaky. Um, So I just, I was just, about 10 minutes into my uh, talking about dreams and uh, we had a power cut which freaked me out Um, but anyway so I think I'm gonna have to do it all again but um, there's a house there's a house that I visit in my dreams Um, and I've, I've visited this house must be thousands of times and there's always it's always something different in this house it's the same house but there's always I always find something new Um, and there's all there's there's nothing particularly odd about it other than the fact that you know everything in dreams because of obviously the way dreams work everything in dreams is bizarre, there's nothing that feels bizarre about this house, if that makes any sense, but there's always a presence, there's always, it's always empty, it's always dark, but I always feel like, like sort of displaced, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it's not right, there's something not right about this place, but I've gone to it for years, and like I say, I always find something new, there's been a theatre, you go through a door, and there was, there was a theatre. You came out of a trapdoor. There there's there was, you would come out on the stage, and the stage was really high up. Um, and you looked down, knowing it, it was this. It was the knowing that that it was empty, and seeing that something had moved, something was out of place. There, they're the things that that are the most terrifying in dreams, for me anyway. It's things that are out of place, things that you know shouldn't be there but they are, things that you know are um, out of place, it's things that are out of place for me in dreams that terrifies me. Um, I mean this, this, I suppose as an example, one of my earliest memories of this house was, I must have been nine, still living at my home obviously, um, and there's a painting Painting on the wall, um, and the painting was just people, loads and loads of people. Um, kind of as if it was uh, some kind of melee um, going on. And I was trying to figure out, I think, by looking at this painting, what had happened to someone in this painting. I was looking at it, it was a bit like a Where's Wally kind of thing, but, but much, much darker. Um, and obviously, real people rather than cartoony. But, um, and I found the person that I was looking for on the on the in the picture. Oh, I've got chills now. And the reason I found them was that in the picture, they're staring right at me, um, and it's like I can, it's like they're looking at me, and it was a face of utter malice. Um, that wasn't good. It really wasn't good. And I remember being absolutely terrified. I was terrified to go to sleep. I was terrified to wake up. It was was just utter terror. Um, Yeah, couldn't sleep for a long time after that. Definitely. But no, I mean, you know, I've had kind of waking dreams. I've had hallucinations and weird things happen. There was, um, I mean, when I first, when I first left home, um, I lived um, with my then girlfriend at the time um, in a flat above an old people's home that she worked in, and the, weird stuff. I mean, I'm not really a, <laughs> I don't know, I don't, I'm not, I don't really go in for all um, also, um Paranormal activity and all that kind of stuff, but um, I remember the covers being pulled off me at night and feeling and having, um, that was when I started having um, uh, sleep paralysis and it starts, it starts as a wave in my toes of all things. So you have this Feeling, and you can hear it you can hear the feeling it's the weirdest thing you can hear this feeling of waves coming up your body and it starts with your toes and your feet and it's like a it's like a um, it feels like feathers being sort of washed up your body if that makes sense it's really weird Um, and it's i'm suddenly aware suddenly aware that i can't move can't move can't talk that it takes all of your effort absolutely all of your effort took me all of my effort to make a just a sort of groaning sound but you can't move you know and it's you have to, it's you're putting every every sinew of your body into Making a sound of some sort just to alert whoever you know, alert people or you know, whoever it was to uh, to the fact that you can't move. It's really quite worrying. But the worst thing about it, the worst thing about it, was the feeling of there being someone there, um, being watched and it was always as if they were out of your, just outside of your vision. It's like um, it's like being sat in a room with someone and if you were to just be able to move your eyes to the right or the left, you'd be able to see them. You know, it's that sort of thing. You know they're there, but you can't see them. And it's not because you can't see them because they're invisible, it's you can't see them because you can't move to see them and they're just outside of your vision um, and it's it, that was the uh, possibly the most terrified I've ever been it's only ever it's never happened to me when I've been alone though which is odd I hope it never does actually I haven't had it for a while now but um, it's' There is a feeling of kind of suffocation that goes with it. It's um, it's being completely, completely vulnerable and unable to do anything about the situation you're in, and knowing that you you can't move. There's nothing you can do. Um, The only thing that stopped it was if I was touched. Um, So as soon as um, as soon as well my at the time would touch me, Um, I'd come out of it and it would be, uh, you'd jump out of it. It wasn't just, oh, it it wouldn't just stop and go, you would, it was like all of the effort that you were putting in to try to move was suddenly released and you'd sort of jump. (laughs) Um, And then it'd be gone and the feeling would go and you'd know that everything was fine and even the room even felt lighter as well, as in you know it felt brighter after this had happened. And I've had it during the day, and it, it would be like the the room got dark when this happened. Um. Just the most strange, odd, terrifying thing. Um, so for me, it's not you know the I know people you know people talk about dreams of you know things happening being mangled by things, horrible things happening and all of that, that's not what it is for me. For me, it's um, the things that terrify me are the, it's it's the things, it's being observed without being, um, you know, things being out of place and being observed by something that maybe you can't see not because it's invisible again not because it's invisible but because you can't move to see it like the painting you know being seen by the person in the painting was terrifying to me no one else in the painting was looking out but this person was and they were looking right at me Um, and you know there's been other things the um, fat man with the boggly eyes behind the curtain (laughs) That was one that happened a few years ago. Just woke up to a fat man with boggly eyes peeping around the curtain in the bedroom. Um, and of course I freaked out and they disappeared. Um, and other things. Um, I remember waking up and my partner was asleep and there was someone knelt next to the bed looking at her you know, it was friendly actually, it was it was a you know a pleasant face, but it was an older face, an old lady, um, and I recognised the face but couldn't put a name to it. Anyway, it turns out the next day, again she was working in old people's home at the time, um, she, it turned out that an old lady in the home had died that night, who was, when she showed me a picture, she was the lady that was in the room, so it's hard to say i don't believe in anything like that but i know that i wasn't fully awake and your mind plays tricks on you and all that kind of stuff so to me these experiences are um whilst i can't explain them you know and that in itself maybe that is what paranormality is things that you can't explain but um to say that it's another um What's the word? To say that it's another <laughs> consciousness I think is what I struggle with. I think it's it's the way your mind works, the way that you think that determines kinda of how these things happen and and so I think it's all it's all it is all in your mind, it is all in your head. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I believe, but it nonetheless doesn't stop it being some of these experiences being the most terrifying things, um, the most horrendously terrifying things that I've ever experienced. But yeah, that's my bit.
0: The perfect piece to underline Anthony's story is an image deemed eBay's haunted painting. Also called The Hands Resist Him, painted by Bill Stoneham in 1972. The painting was described as haunted because previous owners reported that characters in the picture would move at night, to the point of completely leaving the frame. The painter of the piece also claims that both the owner of the gallery in which the painting was first displayed and the art critic who reviewed the painting died within a year after looking at the picture. Not surprisingly, really, when the painting itself features a stern-faced young boy beside an eyeless, life-size doll of a girl, and ominous hands peering out from the black paned glass behind them, empty and hollow. With moving characters and eyes that follow you, you'd second-guess any painting you slept near.
6: Thanks for tuning in to the Drunk Art Halloween special. We'd like to especially thank everyone who contributed and submitted stories and artwork. To have a peek at the artworks we've chatted about during this episode, head on over to our Instagram, at Drunk Art Review. You can also find us on Twitter, on at Drunk Art Review. And if you have anything you'd like to chat about with us, then you can always email us on at drunkartreview at Again, we'd like to thank you for listening to this special, and we hope that you don't have any nightmares.
0: This Drunk Art Review podcast audio treat was created, hosted and edited for you by me, Rosie Alexander and Jennifer Kemp. We created sound design using co.agmusic and sound clips were free sourced. For any further information about the audio and sound clips used within this episode, just reach out and message us.